And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome everybody to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo, and uh, it's great to be with you today. Yes, it is Friday. Thank God it's Friday. It's been a pretty long week, but a fantastic week here on the show, diving into all sorts of different apologetic issues and so on. And uh, we're going to finish strong here. You know, every week I say, uh, apologetics is a lot like working out, training, like in sports and so on, because, uh, you know, it's it's a skill set that you need to develop by, you know, the Holy Spirit, by cooperating with God and prayer and the sacraments, but also learning so that God can use what you've learned and call that to mind when you need to know it. And uh, so it's a lot like working out. You have to keep with it keep going over the same material to you're familiar with it and then ultimately you know when it's when god sees an opportunity he'll call it to mind and you'll use it in dialogue so uh we we want to finish strong and we are going to do that today with a guest actually i haven't had him on the show in quite a while and i'm it's fantastic that we can have him on today it's it's don johnson not Don Johnson of, uh, if you guys remember back in the 80s, not the Don Johnson, but another the John Johnson in that uh, he is a convert to the faith. And he's also a film producer and he's an author. In fact, he has a brand new book out. It's called Twisted Unto Destruction, How Bible-Only Theology Made the World a Worse Place. You know, we talk about... Sola Scriptura, and we, we tackle Sola Scriptura from a number of different standpoints on this show. We've looked at internal consistency of Sola Scriptura, uh, the historicity of Sola Scriptura. We discussed it from many points of view. But this is a cool book because it takes a different tact in assessing Sola Scriptura by looking at its social impact on the world and how uh, the Protestant Reformation, by using Sola Scriptura, had really opened up Pandora's box of really bad things in society and in other places. Also, I want to talk about his new film coming up called Disconnected, and uh, we'll talk about that on the show as well. So that's going to be a ton of fun. I can't wait to have Don on the show. That's coming up on the other side of the break. Uh, this side of the break, we're going to sharpen our critical thinking skills, but as you know, on Fridays, we switch things up. We are CrossFit trainers here at the dojo, and uh, we're not just going to look at an informal fallacy. We're actually going to study a propaganda technique. Today's propaganda technique is the bandwagon technique. And also, as you know, we meet an early church father every show. Today's early church father is a Catholic ecumenical council, which is the first council of Constantinople in 381. So uh, that's kind of cool. You know, the early church fathers, you never know uh, what's going to come down the pike, whether it's a sacramentary or a, a gravestone, an individual, an unknown document, or a council of the church. 
So that's what we're going to look at today. But before we do all that, I want to welcome all of you to the show. Welcome to the dojo, everybody. All of you listening on radio around the country and also, of course, all of you watching live on live stream on our social media outlets. Thank you for watching. And I want to welcome all you peeps listening on and possibly watching through podcast because uh, hands-on apologetics is made available through podcast so you can access the show and past shows at the click of a button. And you can do that either through our phone app or you could do it through our flagship website, which is virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And, uh, yeah, please do. In fact, it's a great way in which you can um, uh, share this program with your friends. You can do evangelism just by going to the website. And um, <laughs> and uh, that's a great place to do. Like I said, you know, what a great time to live in that we can actually evangelize with a click of a button. Also, uh, I want to mention the official Dojo Mailbox which is questions at handsonapologetics.com. That's the official dojo mailbox, questions at handsonapologetics.com. And that comes directly to me, the sensei, and indeed I do answer your emails, although I have to apologize. Uh, last couple of uh, emails I received, I still haven't I still haven't got to them, but they're great, and I really appreciate it. In fact, some of them mention uh, guest suggestions, things like that, so I, I truly appreciate it. So, yeah, if you have a guest suggestion, definitely send it in. All you have to do is just give me uh, the information. How to get a hold of them is greatly appreciated. Also, a link to their stuff so I can check it out, and if it's dojo quality, folks, we'll have them on the show for sure. Um, at least if our schedules coincide, I should say that at least. Um, yeah, I think I covered everything. Why don't we go to the propaganda technique for today? Today's propaganda technique is the bandwagon propaganda. Bandwagon basically is just telling people that, hey, everybody's doing it. You don't want to be left out. Come and join the crowd. That's really the bandwagon propaganda technique in a nutshell. It it focuses on this innate desire for all of us to be part of a crowd, to not be loners, to not be, you know, lone wolves. Most of us are much more comfortable knowing that we're part of a group, especially a group that's large or a group that is going to be victorious. Everybody wants to be on the winning side. So what this propaganda technique does, it gives the impression that a particular side of an issue or uh, what have you is being bought or joined or uh, uh, signed on by the vast majority of people. And implicit in that is that that's going to be the victorious side. And you don't want to be left out, right? You don't want to be, uh, you know, the lone wolf, like I said. You want to be able to um, be able to, uh, uh, you know, fit in with everybody else. So uh, it always includes some sort of invitation to join uh, the group. And, um, yeah, actually, uh, I think that's that's good enough. That's our propaganda technique for today. And uh, let's see here. Let's move to meet our early church father for today. And, boy, I have to send my apologies to the engineer. I updated the calendar for the guest contact thing. So if you just check the calendar, Richard. Uh, you should have the address, FYI. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay, let's go to the Meet the Early Church Father today, which is First Constantinople. Like I said, it's a church council. The Arians were in sharp decline in the in the West at the death of Constantius in 361 A.D. and in 364 A.D. after short reigns of Julian and Jovian. The empire was again shared by co-emperors Valentinian and Valens. In the West, Valentinian's policies favored orthodoxy, and his, emp- his empire Arianism was soon a negligible factor. In the East, however, Valens was himself an ardent Arian. His policies constituted uh, virtual persecution of the Orthodox faith. So you had the church split by these two emperors, one and the other one who is not. Uh, so Valens was himself, uh, let's see, he uh, persecuted faith at his death, however, in 378 AD, the ascension of Theodosius in 379 AD, uh, AD Arianism, began a sudden decline in the East. The previous Council of Constantinople in 381 uh, was the reassertion of the faith of Nicaea to decide who was the rightful bishop of Constantinople and to bring about the unity of the church in the face of numerous and disastrous divisions caused by the fragmentation of Arianism. The idea of another general and plenial council had been contemplated in 378-379 AD, but it was abandoned in 380 when it was seen that a council could only arise political interest after uh, realignment of the provinces forced upon Theodosius during the year of Gratian, who had succeeded Valentinian in the Western Empire in 375 AD. Under the apprehension that a plenary council at that time could only result in further mutual mistrust between East and West, it was decided that Constantinople should be an entirely Eastern council. It was then an ecumenical council, neither in its concept, nor its convocation, nor its sessions. No Latin bishop was present when the council met. In answer to Theodosius's convocation in May of 381 AD, and Rome had no official representation in the council, although Ascolius of uh, Thessalonica, who arrived late, apparently brought with him uh, private instructions from Pope Damasus to oppose Gregory and Nanzianzus, whom uh, Damasus distrusted. A number of the bishops present at the council were given in the earliest accounts as 150. The last of the signatories of the council uh, has only 148 names, of which 10 are a priest and one elector. It is, of course, easily admitted that the number 150 is a rounded number in approximation. However, the list of signatories arranged as it is by province uh, seems to uh, be the work of a later revisionist. Um, the 36 bishops of the Numa I love this name, uh, Nudomachian uh, party, uh, arrived in Constantinople for the council, but they were refused admittance when they would not accept the Nicene Creed. So they left the city before the opening of the sessions. Uh, Nudomachian, by the way, are people who deny the divinity of the Holy Spirit. And that is our early church father today, which is a council of the church, and that is the first council of Constantinople. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to chat with our friend Don Johnson about his brand new book, Twisted Unto Destruction, and also his brand new movie. Stay tuned.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. And the topic of the Bible alone, Sola Scriptura, one of the two pillars of the Protestant Reformation, on the show, we've addressed it from numerous standpoints, internal consistency, you know, the, the, whether or not it's biblical, it's history, th- things like that. But one area we haven't really investigated on is the after effects and how the Sola Scriptura has changed the, the world for the worst. And uh, that's why I'm really pleased that uh, we have our guest, Don Johnson, with us. Don is an author, speaker. Radio host, filmmaker, he has a B.A. in theology, missions and intercultural studies at San Juan Christian College, an M.A. in Christian apologetics at Biola University, and an M.A. in theology from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. His latest projects include documentaries such as Unprotected, Unconvinced, and we'll talk about a brand new one. And he also has several good books that every apologist ought to get, actually some great books, uh, for example, How to Talk to a Skeptic. And his new book, of course, Twisted Unto Destruction, How the Bible Alone Theology Made the World a Worse Place, put out by Catholic Answers Press. And you can check out all of Don's great stuff at donjohnsonministries.org. And Don, welcome to Hands-On Apologetics. Hey, Gary. Thanks for having me on, man. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good seeing you, too. Uh, it's it. I don't know. I guess whenever we're together, it's cold weather or something. <laughs> because it really got cold here in Michigan right on the day that, uh, you know, you're you're appearing. So that's right. Uh, it's uh, it's a curse. It's all right. We'll get to it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's talk about the book. Then I want to talk a little bit about uh, the documentary that you made as well. Um Twisted Unto Destruction. So how do you come up with the idea for this book? Well, I, you know, I'm a convert, Gary. As you know, I was an evangelical apologist before I became a Catholic apologist. And uh, the Bible alone has always been, you know, at the front of my journey, if you will, the question of authority, which, you know, is common, right? It's common for uh, converts to uh, question that. But what really got me sort of questioning some of the further things, like the morality of this, what was the actual effect, was when I started uh, doing some films, actually. some. Uh, so I did a documentary on the sexual revolution uh, before the current one uh, called Unprotected. And, you know, as an apologist, I mean, you and I know, Gary, as an apologist, you're constantly like, say, I was debating atheists about you know, the, the objective morality in the world or whatever. Is there some sort of basis for morality, right? And you can, you can say to an atheist, at least I do, like, listen, maybe we're together on a topic. Like, maybe we both are pro-life, right? That's possible. I've, I've marched with atheists. Um, but actually, as it gets to the bottom of it, you don't have a foundation for your beliefs. Like, you actually don't have a solid philosophical reason uh, that if it, when push comes to shove, you've got to have something more solid, right? And so I was doing this with atheists, but what I also found <laughs> is that um, when push came to shove, a lot of my Protestants, especially evangelical, but a lot of my Protestant brothers and sisters didn't actually have a solid foundation for their morality. And not only that, but they were using the Bible against 
some of the positions that I was like marching for, right? So I'm a pro-life guy and I was doing this documentary on the effects of the sexual revolution. So the effects of the birth control pill and, and pornography and abortion and all of these things, divorce, right? I'm, I'm working on all of these topics. And what I found often was that I'm actually fighting against Protestants who are using the Bible against me. Like, you're the no, Don, you're the one that's anti-biblical. You're the one that's uh, not doing what Jesus wants in this issue. And it really, like, you know what? Actually, I mean, from a Protestant perspective, I realized they're actually kind of right. Like, they, they actually can use the Bible both ways. Like, they can use the Bible to support abortion, and they have. They can use the Bible to support divorce and contraception and all these things, and they have. And so this really got me digging more into the history of this. Like, well, how, to what extent has the Bible been used in history to support um, evil and, frankly, to make the world a worse place? And so that's that's sort of the genesis of the book. I'm so thankful for uh, for Catholic Answers for having the guts to to not only publish the book but to give it a nice strong title. <laughs> um, it's uh, you know people shy away from this, but I I appreciate that they've uh, that they've done it. Yeah, yeah, I am too. I, I think that's a real interesting line of argument, and it's one that really hasn't been explored, uh, certainly within the apologetic realm. Now, as a convert, though, uh, and this always fascinates me, that within Protestantism, there seems to be a blind spot as to opposing views of other Protestants. You know, you just kind of shoo them away as either being sinful or just not studying the Bible enough. Uh, so they don't really see those contradictions uh, within the Protestant community. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's, I mean, there's so many blind spots, right? You look back uh, to your to my days as an evangelical, and you think like, well, how did I ever read the Bible that way, or how did I ever think that this position could be supported from Scripture? And it is, I mean, there is. You go through life um, honestly with blinders on, like you just ignore those things. You just skim over those passages that you don't agree with. You just sort of ignore that crazy group down the street, you know, that's marching, and you're just like, you know what? Yeah, they're not. They're crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah, they're the right, ones that yeah. are not in the Bible. And often, but but what happens is you you don't. It's interesting to me, Gary. Like we didn't um, ever question the idea, at least not for a long time. I mean, ultimately, I did. But that well, we're the ones that are on God's side. I mean, obviously, we're the ones that are on God's side. And and, and I do I do actually remember as a as a fairly young kid, I asked my mom this because I. I, should, I guess I shouldn't say never question because I questioned it as a young kid. I'm like, I saw all the other groups around and I can't even remember what the topic was, you know, like dancing or smoking or drinking, you know, something, something like that. And I thought, well, I asked my mom, it's interesting that we are the only ones that got this thing right. Like <laughs> those other <laughs> yeah. groups. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it struck me. I remember it to this day. I was quite, and I, you know, she kind of just, I don't know, laughed it off. Like, yeah, I guess that's lucky or whatever. And, you know, I had a great family and I'm not, I'm not disparaging them at all, but it's not, um, you just, you just kind of go over that. You just kind of like, we're just going to keep moving on and not, not deal, deal with that topic too much, even though we're all using the same Bible and we come to vastly different conclusions, not just on doctrine. That's the thing. Like, that's what the book's about. Not just on doctrine, but on ethical issues. And that's, I think, where the rubber really hits the road, because it's not just, it's not just like, you know, peripheral issues, like, okay, smoking. Okay, so we disagree on smoking or whatever. Okay, fine. 
No, like we disagree on like very, very big things. This morning I saw an Instagram post from a Christian lady who I happen to follow uh, supporting the transgender movement based on scripture. She had this intricate scriptural argument for why God doesn't, you know, is happy with our pronouns and he's not male or female and all this like that's. And I, have, I mean, we can talk about it later, Gary, as we get into the movie, but that's evil. That's supporting evil. That's supporting evil with with the Bible. And that's a serious, serious problem, right? Like, that's a major issue that um, I felt like we needed to dig into a little more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to look at the, the roots, it goes all the way back to the New Testament, doesn't it? With, uh, you know, Jesus' temptation in the desert with uh, the devil quoting scripture, you know, to his own uh to it for his own design so it's yeah this whole idea of uh like you said twisting scripture to its own destruction you know the title says it all <laughs> that the bible uh the bible alone mentality really can be used in awful ways and you really and you're absolutely right though it's not minutia right it's not like whether you uh, long hair is allowed for males or whether right. women should wear jewelry it's uh life and death issues and you bring up several really big ones in your book. Yeah, I try to hit uh, three major ones that I think have been particularly, um, shall we say, uh, pervasive <laughs> in America. Yeah. I, I sort of stick with, you know, we do a little chapter on the on the Reformation and Luther. I mean, Luther immediately, right, was was uh, calling everybody around him a bunch of satanic uh, tools because of their morality, yeah. right? So, so right. It, it's not that it didn't, you know, it started immediately. But once yeah. we got to America— America is a particularly Protestant nation, right? It's it, it is like sola scriptura. If you want it in its most purified form, I think we look at the states and we look at the history of of, uh, uh, of the U.S. and you can really see what you can really see what happens. And so I picked three major issues that I think are particularly um, bad in America, like historically have been. And of course, the main one, you know, the the original sin of America, I think everybody accepts, was slavery and racism. And and uh, why did that become such uh, a major issue? We fought a, a war over it. hundreds of thousands of people die over this issue. Like this is no small thing. Well, um, it was as even as even esteemed Protestant historian uh, Noel uh, says, this was a debate about the Bible. This was a theological discussion, like both sides in the Civil War, both sides of slavery absolutely thought that they were doing the will of God and that they were fighting on behalf of God and Christianity and the Bible itself. You know, like I'm I'm this is a holy war. This is a crusade. And if yeah. they didn't, you think about it, if they didn't think that this was a crusade, um, guys like Mark Knoll, who I mentioned, uh, Phil Johnson, esteemed historian, they say, like, if it hadn't if they hadn't had that, like, divine mandate behind them, it wouldn't have been as big of an issue, it wouldn't have gotten nearly as as, uh, as large and as evil as it did. And I, so I trace that in the book um, back to the very like when the you know those first original slaves were sold uh, in the colonies that um, almost immediately you had to have some sort of scriptural backing for this practice mm -hmm. uh, because people were questioning like it doesn't seem right that we should be selling slaves right that doesn't doesn't strike me as the thing that Jesus would want oh no no let me figure let me tell you how we can do it and so they would come up with these intricate very biblical right? Very chapter and verse arguments for why we can buy and sell slaves. And in fact, why it's good for them. It's good for the slaves. 
and uh, you know, from the curse of Ham to uh, submitting to authorities, you had you had all sorts of pastors coming up with intricate arguments for this. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, in a way, they're looking for the loopholes. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, it, it, we have a, a problem that we want to do this. We think it's right, so we'll go to the Bible to see if we can find some sort of justification for it, and kind of look in Scripture for that you know loophole that you could find. Well, you think about it, I mean, as Bible alone Christians, which is what I was, I mean, the Bible is supposed to be your sole source of faith and morals, right? I mean, that's what we say as evangelical, like, that's what, that was the creed, like, you'd be the Bible alone, so you better be able to find chapter and verse for this. Well, here's the thing, Gary, you can, you can find, because it has to be interpreted, right? The Bible does not speak for itself, it has to be interpreted, so you can make it say whatever you want, <laughs> That's the bottom line. Right. You can make yeah. it say whatever you want. And if you have something that's making you a lot of money, like the slave trade, right, and you need to justify that somehow, well, guess what? I'll find some Bible verses for it. And and that's exactly what they did. They they started in Genesis. I mean, you think like, hey, <laughs> they started in Genesis, but they went all the way through the New Testament and found very theologically I would say sophisticated. I mean, in some ways, I mean, it's not like they're just, they believe this. They came up with sophisticated arguments based on scripture to support this. Yep, absolutely. We're chatting with Don Johnson about his brand new book, Twisted Unto Destruction. More to come right after this. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We're chatting with Don Johnson about his brand new book, Twisted Unto Destruction. It's available through Catholic Answers Press at shop.catholic.com. I love it because it, it is a fresh approach to Soul Scriptura, which is pretty hard to do because there's been so much written on Soul Scriptura. And, uh, you know, before we move the, the slavery issue and move on to other uh, issues you touch on, uh, a lot of people don't know this is where the Baptists have a schism within the United States and why we have Southern Baptist and Northern Baptist Church, because uh, it was over the slave trade. And, and Don, surprise, surprise, I wonder whether the North was interpreting Scripture in favor of slavery or against slavery. You know, yeah, well, like, right. <laughs> I, I wonder how it split. What? What? Yeah, no, I yeah. mean, the Southern Baptists, that's the biggest, that's the biggest denomination in the country, one of the biggest in the world. And I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe people don't realize that, that that's exactly why, <laughs> because yeah. they wanted to keep slavery. So we, instead of Baptists, we're now Southern Baptists and the split was over. Hey, we are on God's side. Like I quote several uh, pastors, this, I mean, and this is not, um, I mean, they, they were using these biblical arguments, by the way, uh, up until like the 1970s, you had certain Baptist groups in this country in the segregation battle uh, using the exact same um, documents. In fact, the Southern Baptist Convention in the last couple of years has still been dealing with the fact that they used a biblical argument to split from the Northern Baptists and to keep slavery. No other reason. That's the only reason. Yeah. And so even in the 70s and the 80s, you know, these guys, they're still, I mean, um, the, the university, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's in the book. But in, by 2000, the year 2000, they finally allowed uh, interracial dating, okay, in certain evangelical schools in this country. So, yeah, this is, I mean, Bible schools, right? Like Bible schools, 
um, is is where we're getting this. So yeah, it's a good point that this is a huge, huge issue in American history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, you cover that. And the thing is, we forget about it. You know, it's one of those blind spots again. It's like we don't want to think about it. That was uh, people weren't, they were twisting scripture. They didn't, you know, they weren't praying. They, they weren't good people. So we can ignore them. But, you know, there's all this bloodshed, not to mention, you know, enslaved people because of it. Uh, so uh, what's the next issue you touch on? Probably segregation. Because you already mentioned that as well. Yeah, well, so in the racism chapter, um, I go right up until uh, basically present day. Obviously, we got rid of slavery, but that didn't end racism. And so the segregation battles, you look at, uh, or or the uh, Jim Crow laws, like all those, the KKK. I mean, I don't, pe- I don't know if realize, people realize what the KKK was. That was an explicitly, especially the second sort of movement of it. It was an, an 18, 19th century movement, but then in the early 20th century, uh, Jim Crow laws put that era, the KKK came back strong, and there was it was an explicitly Protestant, Bible-supported movement. There was 40,000 pastors as part of the KKK. It was stronger in places like Oregon and Idaho than it was in the South. The very first movie that was ever shown in the White House was um uh no no it's what is it is it birth birth of a nation yeah birth of a nation yeah thank you gary yeah Yeah, an explicitly pro kkk (laughs) this was a major major movement and it was explicitly not just anti-black but anti-catholic that's what the kkk was it was a bible supported there's a reason they burned crosses it was very religious it was very protestant um so yeah it was all bible supported they they segregation battles were driven by church ladies, right? You've seen the nasty uh, pictures from the 50s, and you're like, well, we would never do that. Well, listen, this was our our Christian brothers and sisters. And listen, some Catholics too, I, I admit. Yeah, but as I explain that. in the book, the Catholics have a different system. Like you can, <laughs> if you have a Catholic who's going against the teachings of the church, and in the segregation battles and the slavery battles, the racism, the church is very, very clear about this. Um, the church has the ability to simply excommunicate you, which they did, right? In New Orleans, I tell the story of segregation battles in New Orleans. The bishop there uh, was facing a parent group that wanted to keep the Catholic school segregated. He said, absolutely not. We're, 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 it's going to be together tomorrow. And... Um, the, the three parents that ultimately were leading this, he excommunicated them <laughs> the next day, <laughs> and it killed the movement. They, they yeah. turned around. They repented publicly, and the, the school uh, became um, desegregated. This happened throughout the country, actually. So the Catholics have a different approach to this because they have a different, a more, like, actually operable system for, for providing an ethic, for providing a, a morality and ethics, but then also... Um, discipline people when they get out of that. If you're a Protestant who doesn't agree with your church's teaching, the, listen, the church has no recourse. You just go down the street. You start a new church. That's how it works. Um, so it, it is a different, and, the, and I think the segregation racism battles throughout history have shown uh, in America how that works. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, and you have a series of papal encyclicals against slavery and even if uh, a local ordinary was the, out of line with church teaching, at least you have a body of teaching in the church that you could say, that guy's wrong, right? He's out of place with the, the heart of the church. 
uh, without a, like formal excommunication, you can still discern that, you know, within the context. Where one, Bible alone, it's your word against his. Yeah, well, in one way I like to just try to explain this to people is that um, there is the notion of a bad Catholic. Like, you can be a bad, people say that, right? Like, you know, the, some well-known late-night talk show hosts just call themselves bad Catholics. And, and we know what that means. They're like, well, either I don't agree with the whole church teaching or I don't live by it, but, you know, I still call myself Catholic. And that, you know what, it kind of, I get it. It makes sense. But have you ever heard yourself, anybody call themselves a bad Protestant? They don't, because it doesn't make There is no such thing as a bad Protestant. Because if you don't agree with what a particular sect of Protestantism teaches, or this this preacher or whoever, you just leave. You just go down the street and start your own. It's, it's, it's philosophically impossible, actually, within that system to be a bad Protestant, because you just start your own thing. You can interpret the Bible the way you want. And there's no recourse. So even though some denominations historically have tried church discipline, right? They, they've given it a shot. You make you you know you make your congregants sign off on a statement of faith or your professors at your school or whatever. But the bottom line is it doesn't work. Uh, people just leave. People split off, and so you have thousands of different uh, groups and splinter sects uh, within Protestantism because that's how it had to be. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah, um, you have a, a section in there called blessed, and what the two S's are dollar signs. So why don't you focus in a little bit on that? Yeah, so this, again, a particularly American approach to life uh, is uh, acquisitiveness or consumerism, right? Almost immediately in the colonies, you get uh, this is noticed in the writings in Europe. They're like, wow, these guys, they like to accumulate things and use them and make money. And it's a very uh, consumerist culture right from the start. And it's only gotten more so. Uh, I think today when when you uh, look at what, you know, what does it mean to be American? Often what it means is I can buy stuff, right? I can buy as much stuff as I want, as quickly as I want, and there's nobody to tell me any different, right? It's like, why why would you tell me that I don't need uh, $500 worth of unused clothes in my closet? Which, according to the data I saw, which is what the average woman has in America today, $500 worth of clothes in her closet that they've never worn even once. So that's consumerism. I think it's uh, I think it's anti-Christian. Okay, I think it's uh, clearly um, a a non-Christian attitude towards life and that uh, Christian teaching and the Catholic Church has been very strong on teaching against things like and actually give a list of the vices that are involved in the consumerist mindset, things like avarice, greed, gluttony. Um, You end up with exploitation of other people. You end up with more theft. There's all sorts of vices that go along very closely with consumerism. Right. But in America, and not only um, are we consumerist, but we are proudly Christian consumers so that the, the most popular preacher today in the country is a guy named Joel Osteen has church services in a basketball arena, tens of thousands of people, sells millions of books, gets millions of people watching him on TV every day or every week. Uh, and his his message is explicitly, God wants to make you rich. That's what blessed is, like the blessings of God need to be poured out. And it is a, I mean, not just Osteen and even people who might uh, decry the health and wealth gospel, uh, I would argue that the American evangelical church is almost entirely consumeristic, even among people who wouldn't go with what we now see as health and wealth preachers. 
for, uh, and you know that kind of in the 80s i mean you and i remember in the 80s gary there was some there was some crazy like tv preachers that everyone started to laugh at it's gotten much more sophisticated now right like joel osteen's more of a gq kind of guy he's not some crazy overpainted um <laughs> person <laughs> who you're gonna laugh at you know tbn used to have uh the, the trinity broadcasting network used to have this garish headquarters actually just down the freeway from my house here and uh, they no longer you know what it's that's no longer the the image today it's hey as good christians we should be striving to uh, live the american dream and what does that mean gather as much stuff as you can and consume as much and um, you have no you have no duty to anyone else to provide for them we don't think about the poor we don't think about the widows and the orphans um we're just like hey it, it is our right. It is not only our right and our duty, but is our God-given, um, like, to be a good Christian is to what historically we would say uh, partake in greed, avarice, <laughs> and yeah, exploitation. Right, yeah. right? I mean, it's, yeah, there's, it's really there's, crazy when you think about it. Yeah, some groups will actually look at, uh, you know, temporal prosperity as a sign of blessing from God that, wow, this person— God really likes because look at all the goodies he has and the money and so on, which is so different from the cross. You know, that meant, right? that's probably what the pagans thought of Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. I mean, he's, when I when cursed. I st- when I got serious about following Jesus, one of the one of the and I grew up in a very, you know, Bible saturated home. But I, I remember reading the Sermon on the Mount and thinking, this is crazy teaching like this is radical. Yeah. Life changing anti-modern America teaching, right? Like, yeah, blessed are right. the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Like, I, and I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in like a health and wealth church, but everybody knows you chase the American dream, right? No, you don't. And, but we do because of the Bible. Yeah, very interesting. We're chatting with Don Johnson, talking about Twisted Unto Destruction. More to come right after this. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. We are chatting with Don Johnson about his brand-new book, Twisted Unto Destruction, which is available through Catholic Answers. Just go to shop.catholic.com. You can get that. And Donna, I want to talk a little bit about the last section because I think that'd be like a good segue for your new documentary. How did Sola Scriptura tie into the sexual de-evolution? So uh, first, let me preface this by saying um, how bad I think the sexual revolution is. Okay, I think this is the probably the greatest evil. Uh, this is Satan's, you know, trump card almost. Like the what's going on in the culture today with the sexual revolution. Um, the objectification of kids, the the trans thing that is absolutely devastating families. It's an it's an anti-human, anti-person, anti-family, anti-God movement. Okay, that's let me preface that. So I think it's incredibly satanic and dark, and I think it kicked off in earnest. I mean, there was other factors, but it kicked off in earnest with the advent of the birth control pill. Like this was a major milestone in Western civilization uh, that it, that doesn't get it nearly enough credit. Like those historians that say this was the major, like with all the things that happened in the 20th century, the birth control pill was the big one. 
I, I am up there almost, I agree with that. Like this was, yeah. this was devastating. Okay. This killed, killed us. So all that to say, well, how did we get the birth control pill? Because frankly, contraception is one of those issues that even among all of the disparities that happened post reformation, right? Like we disagreed on all sorts of doctrine, all sorts of ethics, like all sorts of things, even amidst all of that, amazingly, contraception was one moral issue that everybody agreed on. All all the Protestants, all the different yeah. sects, all the Catholics have always been consistent on this. But it was that's interesting to me. That struck me as like, wow, I, I never I didn't realize that until the last few years. Okay. And then so what happened? Well, as it turns out, I mean, we can look at 1930 when the Lambeth Conference, uh, the Anglicans were the first ones to officially um, say okay to birth control. But what happened leading up to that? Well, a lady that many of us may have heard about, Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, she previous to that was the birth control league. Margaret Sanger was a birth control advocate par excellence. Nobody better than her at bringing birth control into the world. And what she did, she knew what she had to do. She got an army of preachers to go out and give a biblical defense for contraception. They had they had sermon uh, um, ga- like. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like outlines? <laughs> contests. Like they had sermon contests oh, okay. in the country for the best sermon supporting the biblical support for contraception. This was in the 1920s they were doing this. Oh. Margaret Sanger had an army of preachers. And the, the end result of that was the Anglicans finally said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. It opened a floodgate. You can make a direct, you can take a direct line from that initial acceptance of contraception to opening the door for uh, a radical feminism that opened the door for uh, not only divorce and, and pornography, but the dehumanization of people so that we have the, the gay rights movement is not possible without contraception. And now I think you make a direct line from contraception to the breakdown of the family to uh, the rise of gay rights an absolute direct logical line to now transgenderism, and then the next step will be transhumanism. That's where we're going with this. It's an anti-God, anti-family, anti-person movement that is completely, in every way, supported along the way by biblical arguments. So that, you know, in the 19, again, let's go back to the 60s, a Christianity Today, and Billy Graham's magazine, Christianity Today gives a whole, a whole issue um, and this was actually in, con- in, in contrast to Humanae Vitae. That's why, they, that's why they put out this issue. A whole issue to not only supporting contraception, but supporting abortion. I don't know if evangelicals realize just how pro-abortion evangelicals were up until the late 1970s, early 1980s, until Reagan. Um, and they used the Bible to support this. That's what they did. And so today, like I said, I was mentioning— so. Take, take that. You've had um, sermons all the way through. I mean, I grew up not even knowing you could be anti-contraception, like for contraception. Like what? Like who wouldn't be for contraception? Like I, did, I didn't even know there was that position. Right. That's how inundated the evangelical world is, the Christian world. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the same logic that went to giving us the birth control pill also went to giving us the gay movement. And now is giving us the transgender movement. And again, I'm guaranteeing this. I'm telling you right now, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I'm telling you right now, the biblical arguments for transhumanism are on the way. 
2015, and this, I know, Gary, you're in a new movie. We've got to put, we'll put in a quick plug for this movie uh, called Disconnected. It's about the transgender movement. My good friend, Shuda, happens to appear in the film. We had a great time shooting it. Um, yeah. Gary, you know, this this movement is devastating, but it, it was it exploded in 2015 with young girls. By early 2016, the Washington Post has a very big article by a Christian transsexual or transgender person giving a biblical support for transgenderism. In the Washington Post, you know, why is it in the Washington Post, <laughs> right? A biblical support? Because they know that they, we can twist the Bible, and if we can get the Christians to twist the Bible to support this, they will. <laughs> and in fact, right. they're doing it. So just like, you know, and you might— uh, you might think, you know, if you're an evangelical listening, you'd be like, no, we're not we're not going to support this, Don. I mean, you know, no, if you don't if you think like if you don't realize that you used to be against contraception. OK, you used to be against divorce. I know some churches are, but you used to be strongly against these things. And it was broken down by biblical arguments to to get to the proposition. Those same things are happening today with. Not only things like gay marriage, which we've seen. Why do now? Can you? Have, I haven't heard a sermon on gay marriage for a long time. It's gone, and the evangelical world has given up on this. The transgender thing will be next. They're not even pastors. I have a heck of a time getting pastors to touch this topic um, because it's they don't have it. And so, yeah, it's it's an absolute disaster, but it's it's been made a worse disaster because of the biblical support offered by Protestants for this. Yeah. Yeah. Not only contraception, but, you know, with the homosexual movement as well, there was a concerted effort to uh, uh, readdress the Bible because the Bible has so many prohibitions against homosexuality in the Old and New Testament that, you know, they start parsing words and, you know, trying to reinterpret, well, you know, this is this or it's time limited or whatever. Same thing. It's It's the same modus operandi, no matter what radical revolution comes up you're right there's always an element where we have to go to the bible and see if we can make the bible agree with whatever agenda we have yeah, and that I, you know if you can get this is the thing like i talk about this the girl that i uh, follow on instagram um if you can get people to think that they're now fighting on god's side right so she's supporting her transgender kid um i mean god bless, i know it's a tough situation but listen Listen, trans and kids is a disaster. It's just I'm not it's a satanic disaster. It's absolutely going to harm this kid. OK, um, but she now thinks the mom now thinks that they're they're on God's side. Yeah. Like in anybody she even puts she even puts at the bottom of her post. This is non-debatable. Don't don't give me some biblical uh, argument against this. I am set in my position. I have my biblical argument for it. The, it's done. We're finished with this. Well, what are you supposed to do with that? It's like a, it's like a radical. Um, I mean, you do get like like a radical. Uh, some of the other religions that have sort of anomalous, like Bible alone, only not the Bible, like Islam, for example. You you can make it say whatever you want, right? And then you can justify any sort of action because of that. Well, listen, that the philosophy is the same within Protestantism, yeah. um, and and we're seeing that, and we've seen it throughout history, and we need to be aware of it because. We're, this is dark days. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be too yeah. pessimistic, but man, we're living in the stupidest time in the history of the world right now with some of the stuff that's going on. And we need to be strong fighting this stuff. And the bottom line is uh, the Catholic Church is the only the only thing left standing. I mean, that 
the Bible alone is not enough to fight this evil, as harsh as that sounds. And in fact, the Bible alone will be used to support the evil. That's the problem, right? And and uh, so we need to be aware that we need to get uh, stronger on this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, you're absolutely right. And just that could be the crack to open, the, you know, an evangelical's eyes that, you know what, something just isn't right there. If you look at history, maybe they can't see their neighbors, you know, they could dismiss their neighbors, but you can't dismiss history, I think. I had a uh, I had an Anglican priest tweet at me this morning, Gary, just this very smart who read the book <laughs> and says, you know what, <laughs> this is powerful. He said, this is awesome. this is powerful. I I I'm he's exploring Catholicism, and for, listen, it was powerful for me. I that contraception thing was huge for me. I was like, this is to have the church. Okay, I saw the evil, and there's a lot of ki- I had a I had a, a secular humanist atheist come to the. Uh, premiere of Disconnected the other night, which is the new movie about transgenderism. You can find it at donjohnsonmedia.com. And he came away. He sent me a very nice note after the film saying that, you know what? I have never been open to Christianity at all, especially like a pro-natalist Catholic version of it. But he said, I know that transgenderism is destroying kids' lives. I know that. He can recognize that. And he said, the story that you told in this movie has absolutely been Oh, eye-opening for me. Like this is this makes me want to explore the Catholic faith, and I'm like, oh. check, yes, praise God. That's exactly why we're doing it, okay? Because <laughs> the Catholic faith is the only one that's going to do that's going to handle this, okay? Where this is yeah. this is like you know <laughs> the end. Uh, this is some kind of end times that we're living in, right? Of course, we're all living, always living in some, but this is dark, dark times, and we need to be able to stand strong enough. And you can't, the Bible alone, I'm sorry, it's just not strong enough. The church, and frankly, this is a call to all Catholics, too. I know there's like a Catholic priest who's using liberal Protestant hermeneutics online to support things like uh, the gay movement and transgenderism. No, no, that's that's Protestantism, okay? That's, that's not, yeah. that's not going to work. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't yeah. do that. If you're a Catholic that's concerned about this, the Catholic Church is very clear on these things, and thank God that they are. Yeah, hey Don, you know, uh we were so involved in your book. Uh I feel like we shorted your time on the movie. Would oh, you no, be I'm open sorry. to coming back on the program Maybe we could focus on the documentation? Yeah, of, of course, absolutely. It's uh, you can uh, find the movie if you're interested. I mean, go go buy the book. You can get links to all of it at donjohnsonmedia.com. Uh but the movie just opened. It's just a few days out and it's uh people are it's it's hitting people. It's powerful. Um and it, that's not my doing, but it's a powerful and make you cry make you uh feel yeah. things that um that we appreciate it'll, it'll move you so yeah definitely love to come back on gary absolutely yeah well thank god for that and god bless you and your work uh wow the time's already gone thank you don for coming on the show always good to talk to you gary we'll talk to you soon okay that's don johnson check it out donjohnsonministries.org and like i said man the, the hour just flew coming up next High Impact Catholic Talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. It's time for me to shut down the Midwest Command Center, turn off the dojo lights. Thank you so much for coming on, and I hope all of you have a great weekend. Bye-bye, everyone.